Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RETCAST, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined by my fantastic co-host. He is the one, the only, Matt Morgan. Matt, how you doing this week, man? I'm doing great. I actually, I learned a little tidbit of knowledge. So we all know that a joke becomes a dad joke when it becomes a parent. We know this, but (laughs) I did learn that a joke becomes a bird joke when it becomes a parrot. (laughs) You know what? Okay. I I haven't seen any It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but you've quoted so many of those It's Always Sunny references to me that I feel like through osmosis, I am going to know bird law just by being your friend. Now, now say you you can say you know bird law, but unless you have the actual degree, I I don't think saying it's just going to fly. It's not going to fly. You need the certificate. Matt, I don't know what you're squawking about. That's ridiculous. <laughs> mm, I, I think we're just winging this intro and we just we need to move on. True, true, true. All right. Well, it's just the two of us this week. Matt, what are we talking about on this week's episode? So this week, we're going to talk about some budget replacements for some commonly played staples, as people love to call them. Uh, cards that maybe don't have the best social interactions either. How you can avoid those by just playing some budget replacements and, and keeping it, you know, getting getting those effects that you still want in your decks. Yeah, yeah. Other stuff to put into those card slots if, you know, those big cards are like very expensive or if there are certain cards that you're trying to avoid because of the social experience they create. These might be some other things to consider in those card slots as well. I am excited to get into this one with you, but we've got some shout outs before we get to it. First thing we want to do is thank Chase, aka Mana Curves, for their help with the post-production of the show. Chase, you're an icon, you're a legend, you are the moment. Thank you so, so much for your work on the show. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing to this video on YouTube. You can subscribe in your local podcast app, or you can go to patreon.com slash edhretcast, where you have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join our Discord community, you want to see the episodes a day early, there's all of that and more over at patreon.com slash edhretcast, including the coveted weekly patron shoutout. So this week, we are going to give a very special shoutout to Chris Wilhelm. And uh, Chris, since your Discord handle is... Zekaiser. I'm assuming that it's Chris Wilhelm, which is very proper, but I do appreciate the uh, the loyalty to the name. So Chris Wilhelm or Wilhelm, thank you so much. I don't know the reference that you're making, Matt, but I see Wilhelm and I think, you know, if you changed one letter, it would be Will Helt, one of my favorite zombie commanders. So I am all on board. And Chris, I hope you are one with the zombie army because that sounds fun to me. Yeah, I don't know about the zombie army. I was just saying 
Wilhelm because it's a fun name to say. But <laughs> Chris, either way, thank you for sparking this debate on our end as well. I can't believe you didn't do a Wilhelm scream, Matt. I haven't listened to that band in so long. <laughs> All right. I think we're winging this uh, the shout we out really here, are, as well yes. as the intro. All right, let's get into it. We were talking about some replacements for maybe really expensive cards. Maybe they're cards that you're bored of, or maybe they're cards that you just don't want to play because of the social experience that they create. Matt, where should we start with this episode, do you think? Well, since you're giving me permission to start on whatever cards I want to, let's start with Selesnia cards. Okay. That's, that's what I want to do. So, okay. Sure. So, what some very very expensive cards that uh, maybe people don't really love you playing because they feel like kind of a I win type of button Crater of Behemoth and it's it's newly printed very much kind of sister card Moonshaker Cavalry those two cards are pretty much the same card in green and white where when it enters the battlefield all your creatures get plus x plus x until in turn where x is the number of creatures you have on the battlefield and then they get some form of evasion whether it's trample or flying hmm. they're both great I love these cards but if you look at our recent salt scores, for example, Craterhoof Behemoth ranks pretty high, and once Moonshaker Cavalry gets showing up in more games, it will more than likely show up towards the top of the list as well. These cards are great, but folks don't really love seeing them because once they come down, more than likely the game's just over. And we talked about this card a few episodes ago, how it feels kind of anticlimactic sometimes. Yeah, so there's sort of a, a price associated with these that can make these cards feel a little bit inaccessible. And yeah, I mean, you certainly do need effects like this in your deck. Like we want to have something that is going to push us over the top. But I think, you know, Craterhoof Behemoth has certainly earned a place as like the go-to, almost a rote example. So I'm never mad to see it, but I do understand why people maybe sometimes get a little bit bored of seeing it. And if you yourself are bored of seeing it, or you yourself don't want to go get a Craterhoof, are there other options for you? The answer is absolutely yes. Like a Craterhoof is a card that I have avoided playing in any of my green decks because I mean even just an overwhelming stampede is going to get me there the vast majority of the time and that one's five mana to bump up all of my stuff and give them trample equal to the highest power of my creatures so I mean sometimes that's more than the number of creatures that I have and I'm giving them like plus 16 plus 16 like yeah I've only got five creatures but I'm still probably killing two people with that amount of power that I just got so those are fun things and frankly even a classic a regular overrun I've seen that get there too just plus three plus three and trample is sometimes enough if you have enough of a board so like you absolutely absolutely don't need to break the bank on any of these types of cards to get the thing that will actually end a game. Yeah, if you're in green, you you definitely have access to a lot of these effects. Now, you certainly do not have to rely on just Craterhoof Behemoth to, to get the job done. Yes, you, you can do non-creature sources, but if you really want to stick it to the creatures, you can do stuff like Decimator of Provinces, which sometimes you can actually cast for cheaper than you know your crater hoofs and stuff like that because you have the emerge cost that's built into it. You also have stuff like end race forerunners. There, there is no shortage of green effects of creatures that are just going to give all of your other creatures some sort of pump to push them over the top, and you can win the game from there. Yeah, and I actually want to linger on the end race forerunners right there because I think fo folks will see that one, the ETB ability of getting plus two plus two vigilance and trample until end of turn. And like, yeah, we know that that is a lesser pump than Greater Hoof Behemoth, but like if you needed to tutor a huge creature into play, this is still a very eligible target. But like, let's not overlook the importance of that vigilance. Vigilance in a multiplayer format is so so dang good because it means that maybe you can alpha strike one person while still leaving yourself up to defend against anyone else 
else that might have survived the attack that you were trying to do there. And for that reason, I've actually also kind of been enjoying the card Overwhelming Encounter recently as well. Um, this one's definitely super budget. It's a five mana green sorcery. Creatures you control gain Vigilance and Trample until end of turn, and then you roll a d20 to see whether or not they get plus two until end of turn or two plus one counters. Or if you roll a nat 20, four plus one counters. <laughs> um, and like, so getting the temporary buff versus getting plus one counters that will stick around for a while, that's fun. But really, I just enjoy the combination of Vigilance, Pump, and Trample, because then that means I can probably take down that one person and not leave myself open to a crackback from anyone else who then starts to be an opportunist about it. And that's what I like about Endraise Forerunners a lot too. It's not just that it's a budget card, but there are sometimes strategical applications where that's really, really beneficial. Yeah, I, all of these effects, more often than I, yes, Crater Hoof is the best about it, but these are still going to get the job done for sure. It, how often have you Crater Hoofed and like, oh, well, they're at negative 50, but when you do the math, a lot of these cards would have gotten them to negative 20, which like they're still dead. It's not as flashy as negative 50, but they're still dead and you're still winning the game. And you have these effects in white as well. Let's I mean, Dana's not here, but let's shout out true conviction. Mm. Even if you don't kill them right away from the double strike that you give to all of your creatures, you're giving them lifelink as well, which means even if you, they, you don't kill them right away, you're going to survive five turns, at least from all the life you just gained. Yes, true conviction is wild. I like the card for the Emperor for the same reason. For the Emperor is the four mana white sorcerer giving you plus two plus two vigilance and lifelink on your stuff. And like, would I prefer to play an Akroma's Will most of the time? Yeah, sure. But Akroma's Will is $20. And you know what for the Emperor has done for me and my decks where I'm making a whole bunch of tokens? It's won me a game by killing someone and then putting me at such a high life total that I'm effectively untouchable to anyone else who wanted to try and get past me at that point too. Like, yeah, the, these things are very, very cool. One other green one I've got to shout out before moving on is Storm the Seed Core, which is a lot like the Overwhelming Encounter, giving you four plus one counters to move around your stuff. And again, Vigilance and Trample. Like that combination is really, really potent for you to be able to use. And if you're in a plus one counters deck, there's even more synergy that you can lock from there. And it's only four mana. Like these win the game spells actually come at some really cheap costs if you dig down to find some real fun budget goodies. Well, it's fun to dig not just for budget goodies, but cards that used to be great. And then you look back and Oh, they're, they're still great. There's cards like Mirror Entity that used to be kind of the, the 2015 commander staple for all of those old go wide decks. Mirror Entity is still fantastic. Yeah. It's <laughs> less than a dollar in pretty much whatever version you want to buy, but it still is just as effective. You get to pay X and until end of turn. Creatures you control have base power toughness XX and gain all creature types. So you know that... <laughs> eight mana that you're going to spend on a crater hoof you can just make all your creatures eight eights instead and you're still going to win you're still <laughs> going to punch through you're still going to do a lot of damage yeah and you don't have to spend a whole bunch of money to get there yeah I, i've got mirror entity in either two or three decks because when people when it drops people are like oh oh <laughs> like they do the math and they're like oh i've got like less than a turn to to deal with this and like yeah moonshaker cavalry came out and it was probably like what 18 bucks or something like that well before moonshaker cavalry came out i was playing jazal goldman in my token decks which has basically the same ability you it's a four mana thing you pay five mana and then all attacking creatures get plus x plus x where x is the number of attacking creatures so it's effectively the same type of buff just the cost is split a little bit differently, but you're still getting some really good stuff. And Dissolve's, what, 25 cents now? <laughs> like that's the, Oh, not even. really effective ways to... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's just... There's so many amazing ways to dig into all of these budget replacements. You, know, you don't have to spend $20, $40 to get these just great game-winning effects in green and white. And another color that I do, I do love quite a bit 
We're, well, let's shift to red. We don't want to talk about those other two colors left. That's fine. Hey, skip over those. Blue and black are great. But Matt. red has, red, they're fine. <laughs> but but red red also has some powerful effects. So we we also like to talk about insurrection. How that used to be kind of the bane of the format, but it's also it's still wins games in twenty twenty three. You also don't need to spend a ton of money to get insurrection effects. Joey, you've blown us out before with a simple mob rule, and mob <laughs> rule is fifty cents. Doesn't it doesn't cost a lot? Six mana, and it it takes over a game quite literally. You get to pay six mana, choose one. You either get to gain control of all creatures with power four or greater until end of turn, or gain control of all creatures with power three or less until end of turn. Then they all get haste and untap and go to combat and do the thing. There and do the thing, and that's so worth it because more than likely you really only need one person's army to take over anyways because you're getting rid of their blockers and you're also turning them all sideways. Yeah, yeah, this is a, a definitely a very fun one. Insurrection is thankfully coming down a little bit because it got a reprinting in, I think, Commander Masters. But most of the copies have been nine bucks, and I won't be surprised if in a couple of months this one starts rising back up there. But Mob Rule is 59 cents, and it has won me games for two less mana. And I, I mean, I'm... I, I, how, how can you not? How can you not, right? You don't like have to go, you don't have to reach for the go-to staple when that thing's right there. And it can also open up some really clever, fun ways to, to keep your opponents on their toes. Because now whenever Matt sees that I have six red mana, he's got to be like, oh, heck. <laughs> oh, heck. And that's another benefit of playing these uh, cards that aren't, you know, the staples that we all know. Like if someone sees eight red mana, then maybe they'll be like, okay, I know what's up. But if someone sees six red mana, they might not immediately think of this other choice. And that is another benefit to playing some of these as well yeah and it's not like too in red you can still find substitutes for a crater hoof behemoth type of effect Sh do you remember when shared animosity used to be 30 dollars huh, yeah. well now that thing's like a dollar <laughs> shared animosity if you're playing any sort of deck that has the same creature type among a bunch of creatures that's going to deal so much stinking damage and i mean don't forget about surge to victory one of my favorite cards the past few years mm. that thing also just takes whatever you do have on the battlefield. If you're playing red, you, you more than likely have some sort of instance or sorceries that you can start exiling out. And this is just a great way to do that. Yeah, it takes the mana value of some sorcery in your graveyard, turns that into a pump for all of your creatures. Mm -hmm. And assuming that doesn't already win you <laughs> by dealing extra damage, you also get to cast a bunch of copies for each time that you hit someone. That spell is so freaking fun i really really like surge to victory and it's a nice alternative to some of the more expensive stuff out there um and expensive is certainly going to be a relative term for a whole lot of different people i think you know in in our heads we we were probably like if it's a, above five bucks that's something that you know we want to be oh are there other options available i mean some of the obvious ones you know crater of behemoth finale of devastation we know that those are in like the 20s and 30s the 40s of dollars but like even a fiery emancipation which the lowest uh the, the cheapest version of that right now is around five bucks or so like, even then, it's like, yeah, you know what? If I could play this 25-cent surge to victory, maybe that would actually feel a little bit better for the thing that I'm trying to do, you know? But also, I don't think listeners, Joey, really need another podcast telling people, hey, Crater Hoof Behemoth is going to win you games. Or <laughs> Cyclonic Rift is a really powerful card. You should buy more of them. That's just not helpful information. <laughs> right, no. They do need more podcasts to talk about Mercadia's Downfall as another red spell that is a pump, but I've used that one on Challenge the Stats so many times before, so I, I, can't, I can't... We have, we have. I can't, I can't linger on that one. So yes, okay, let's go to Cyclonic Rift, because that's actually another really great boogeyman staple card in the format, and it's so, so dang good, and there are pieces of it that are, in fact, one-of-a-kind irreplaceable. But sometimes... 
I don't want to play it. Sometimes I'm just like, you know what, uh, even if I do have one, I'm just kind of sick of casting it. Um, but also, you know, there are times in, uh, that we don't have it and we don't want to, you know, it's like, ah, I don't want to drop that much money for this. So Matt, in your case, when Cyclonic Rift is either something you you didn't have or it's something that you don't want to play, what are some of your potential replacements in that card slot? I mean, I really like Engulf the Shore. That one I haven't seen in a long, long time. It's 50 cents. That one is just returned to their owner's hands, all creatures with toughness less than or equal to the number of islands you control. And if you're playing that, I mean, most of the time when you're playing Cyclonic Rift and you're overloading it, the game has gotten to a, a pretty decent point in the game. And Gulf the Shore is one that if you play it right, or not play it right, that sounds kind of weird, but play around it, you can actually make that a one-sided board wipe. If you're playing sea monsters, for example, you have a whole bunch of krakens and, and large creatures in your deck. Engulf the Shore may not bounce all of your stuff, but it certainly will bounce the token deck. It certainly <laughs> will bounce a lot of those other things. And it's also four mana for still instant speed bounce. It's a fantastic card. It's a great alternative for budgets. Uh, there's a whole wide swath of these types of, of alternatives that you can play instead of Cyclonic Rift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the instant speed nature of things can be a really big deal. But like even an, all right, at the end of your turn, I cast Evacuation to bounce all the things back. Even that can be pretty devastating sometimes, and that's a really important thing. But Matt, the one-sided nature is one of the things that I fixate on the most. You were talking about one-sided of Cyclonic Rift, and that is, to me, one of the big benefits of it. But man, we've been getting a lot more of those one-sided things lately. Like, have you seen the new Wave Goodbye, which will bounce anything that doesn't have a counter on it? Well, cool. My plus one counter deck is like, you know what? <laughs> I think I want this effect real fast, not just as a way of getting rid of enemy stuff on the field, but also as a way of opening up my ability to attack them without any blockers in the way. And that sounds pretty nifty. Yeah, wave goodbye to me will very, very quickly become a blue overrun, not because you're giving your creature such a huge pump, but you're pumping up your creatures and then you're just making sure there's nothing there to block them. There, Every now and then you'll be playing against another plus one, plus one counter deck. It's still a very, very good card. It's still a very, very good card. And we've seen other stuff in the past, like Perplexing Test, which can either bounce all non-tokens or bounce all tokens. And like that one too, is just like, oh, here's something that, oh, it's a symmetrical effect. But like, let's be honest, symmetrical effects are never truly symmetrical when you're casting them. So yeah, all of these can be manipulated in very specific ways. Are they the end all be all in the way that Cyclonic Rift is? It, no, certainly not. But are they still really cool? And more importantly, do they evoke fun responses from your opponents? Yes, I think that they do. Because you don't see perplexing tests nearly as often. And the times that you do, you get to be like a, ooh, that's so neat in the deck, the way that you've managed to use it. And that is a very rewarding experience during gameplay too well and another one recently that i was very very impressed with when i got to play against it was fairy slumber party Ooh, uh, it's yeah. four blue blue for sorcery return all creatures to owner's hands for each opponent who controlled a creature return this way you create two one one blue fairy creature tokens with flying that can only block creatures with flying so not only are you bouncing everyone else's creatures but you're also getting your own army to restart again right away and if you're playing fairies, more than likely you have some ETB effects that you want to be replaying on your own. So it's actually a benefit in a lot of fairy decks to have your stuff go back to your own hand as well. So this is just a mass bounce. It's fairly cheap and it's just going to win you games. You're just going to bouncing everything and also leaving yourself a board presence is always a winning way to go about things. That, yeah, this is also one I've been high-key really enjoying because I'm a big fan of the board wipes out there that leave behind something for you, like Martial Coup and Necrotic Hex are two board wipes that I use in my Black-White Tokens deck. 
And usually when you've got a board of a couple of tokens left behind, five or six of them, maybe on your next turn you can drop some type of anthem effect and maybe actually like take someone out. And that's totally the case with this card. And I know because my mom has an all flying deck and she's been casting this one and then follows it up the next turn. She's got six fairies left in play and then she casts a gravitational shift and then boom, someone's taking lethal damage. And it's like, dang, and all of that from a board wipe that left a couple of things behind for you. Matt, I'm totally with you. Fairy slumber party is high key getting it's going way up and up and up in my estimation i really like this spell yeah it's absolutely fantastic and and you also you don't need to be in blue to have one-sided board wipes mm. we've talked for years that probably the, one of the very first things that we ever did was talk about how five mana board wipes actually are pretty great and you should play more of them and there's just so many more that we've been getting that just leave you maybe with your own stuff you have Crux of Fate, which if you're playing a dragon deck, you just want to be playing. There's Slaughter the Strong, which if you're playing a Doran Toughness Matters deck, Slaughter the Strong is absolutely fantastic and definitely a one-sided board wipe. Not only are they one-sided, but they're budget replacements for these otherwise very, very common effects. And not only, like, to really delve into some of those, like, Crux of Fate, it will either destroy all dragons or all non-dragons. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to be playing a dragon deck for that to be useful. If your commander is, like, just, it happens to be a Zayatora, like, that alone is enough. Like, you can just have only one dragon in your deck, and that could still actually work out really, really well in your favor. Slaughter the Strong, I've considered that one from my Barakos deck, because all of the cards in my Barakos deck have, like, at maximum to power. And so I don't need to be playing a Toughness Matters deck for that card to potentially be a one-sided wipe in that deck because it just happens that everything is already pretty low power. And like, yeah, so you don't have to be super dedicated to a theme for some of these board wipes to actually still evoke really powerful effects in your specific deck. Even small synergies sometimes pay off in big ways. When with some of these five mana board wipes, you don't want them to be complete board wipes because you have some cards like Promise of Loyalty that you want the best creature to stick around because the card's going to take care of it for the rest of the game for you. So Promise of Loyalty is five mana for a source that says each player puts a vow counter on a, on a creature they control and sacrifices the rest. Each of those creatures can't attack you or planeswalkers you control for as long as it has a vow counter on it. So yes, you're getting rid of their whole army, but also their best creature they want to save. You don't have to worry about for conceivably for the rest of the game. You can just make sure you ignore that because it's going to take care of everybody else. Yeah, Promise of Loyalty is another one that I high-key really, really enjoy. Because like, all right, yeah, you get to keep the thing. I don't have to worry about it. That's another one I like. And I think it's also important to linger on the ways that these can like not only craft potentially more entertaining games, but like sometimes these off-the-wall versions are something that will open up a path to victory that some of the classic cards actually wouldn't open up a path to victory for you. Um, spoiler alert for a gameplay episode that I've featured on before, but in, in the regular version of the deck, before I budgetized that deck, I had been playing the card Damnation as a board wipe, and that's a pretty expensive card, it's like 18 bucks or something like that, but I made a budget version of the deck to play on a certain shuffle up and something episode on a certain community college channel, and in that card slot, instead, I ran the card Deadly Tempest, because it was like 45 cents, and spoiler alert but that game's been out for a while that card straight up won me the game because deadly tempest destroys stuff and makes people lose life for each thing that they lost and like fully i've now just changed like damnation i'm not playing damnation anymore i'm fully on the deadly tempest in all of the ways because like that that is now not just a board wipe it's also become a win condition like that is doing things that a regular board wipe could not have done so in some cases i would posit that like you know what 
If the budget version can actually be strategically even more to your benefit. Two mana more, I'm willing to pay two mana more if it means that sometimes I win the games where I cast that card. That's really cool. Yeah, sometimes people will get so bent on staying as mana efficient as possible by finding the, the cheapest, as far as mana goes, type of effect that you can get from it. But paying a few extra mana, you're going to get so many more benefits tied to that one specific card that it's going to outweigh the the maybe a little bit more mana that you had to spend in order to cast it. Uh, Dana has a card that he loves playing in this slot called the Challenge of Stats. Um, I don't think he, it's really caught on all that much, but it's probably something that everybody else should be playing too, though, right? Oh, wow. I've never heard of this before, Matt. Never once have I heard of this Challenge the Stats thing that you talk about. So I believe it is two blue blue, and it says uh, there's a lot of statistics on EDH Rec, and we don't always agree with it. So this is when we get a chance to challenge and call out some of those stats for being maybe a little sus. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I noticed that it also has the card type interrupt because like it uh, only can be cast before Joey gets the chance to make any segues. Is, is that the full text of this card? It does have split second. We'll allow this one to resolve and we'll be right back with the challenges after a quick break. Okay, I'll start us off with Challenge the Stats this week, and this is our listener-submitted challenge from Zach Walkover, who sent us an honestly a mind-blowing email. I read this, and I just loved this challenge so much. Zach wanted to challenge a specific card for Jasmine Boreal of the Seven decks, which Jasmine Boreal, Zach admits, is a little bit more of an off-the-wall, maybe an underappreciated commander. It's Selesnia, Matt, I'm sure you love that, a three-mana, two-four human druid that can tap to add two mana to your mana pool, but you can only cast it on creature spells that have no abilities, and Jasmine Boreal of the Seven also says creatures you control with no abilities can not be blocked by creatures with abilities. So a lot of vanilla stuff, maybe a lot of tokens, and then your opponents, if they've got stuff with a bunch of abilities, then your army is hopefully going to get on through. The issue, of course, is that your opponents will probably also play, you know, stuff that makes tokens, and so then they can block all of the big creatures that you're trying to play. And so there are some times that you do have to do a little bit of extra finessing, a little other finicky stuff to make sure that your vanilla creatures will be able to smash your opponents right in their life totals, and and that is why Zach wanted to challenge the card Cauldron of Souls, a five mana artifact that can tap to give any number of creatures the persist ability. Persist would be if that creature uh, dies that turn, it will come back to the battlefield with a minus one, minus one counter on it. And this is a really cool Wrath Insurance card. I like this one a whole lot. It's really fun if you're able to put plus one counters onto your stuff, which will then negate the minus one, minus one counter. So I like Cauldron of Souls just in general, but I especially like it for the way that Zach recommends using it in Jasmine decks, because you don't just have to target your own creatures with Cauldron of Souls. You can tap it to give all of your opponent's tokens, the persistibility, it won't matter if the tokens die, they're gone forever because that's just how tokens work. They can't come back. But now they have an ability. Now they have the persistibility, which means Jasmine says they can't block your stuff anymore. So this is a card that is wrath insurance and allows your stuff to get through unblocked. Zach, this is so dang terrific. I love this challenge. This is the kind of thing that would make me want to play some Selesnia, and that's saying a lot coming from a necromancer like me. Thank you so much for this email. This is a great challenge to stats submission. I'm excited to see it in action one of these days. Well, I'm going to wrap us up then since Dana's not here to chime in. And so my challenge this week is it's for a card that I know we've probably challenged several times. We've challenged this type of card a lot because it's a background, and apparently nobody else likes backgrounds except for the EDH Retcast. 
But here we are to tell you about another one that you should be playing this time in a Faldorn the Dreadwolf Herald deck. So Faldorn Dreadwolf Herald is one red and a green for a legendary human druid that says whenever you cast a spell from exile or a land enters the battlefield under your control from exile, you create a 2-2 green wolf creature token. Then you can pay one and tap it to discard a card and exile the top card of your library and you can play it this turn. So the background that you probably want to be playing in these Faldorn decks is Tavern Brawler. It is two and a red for a legendary enchantment that says commander creatures you own have at the beginning of your upkeep exile the top card of your library. This creature gets plus X plus O until end of turn where X is that card's mana value and you may play that card this turn. So this is a fantastic way just to get you additional procs to Faldorn's ability. You're exiling a card every single turn. It's kind of like the outpost siege where you're just getting that impulse draw every single turn. This also has the added benefit though of being cheaper than Outpost Siege and also giving your commander plus X plus O however big the card is that you exile off the top of your library. That's just kind of a win-win if you ask me. Mm. Tavern Brawler is just a fantastic utility card. If you like to turn your commander sideways, it's a great way to get additional damage through, but also just a card advantage engine. If you're playing mono red, you're playing Boros, you can probably find a slot for this. It's only being played in 9% of Faldorn decks, which seems very, very low to me considering it does pretty much everything the deck wants to be doing. Tavern Brawler is an absolutely fantastic addition to your Faldorn decks. Cool stuff, Matt. Yeah, th those cards are so... I'm, honestly, I'm just really happy that people are realizing that, like, yeah, the cards of Baldur's Gate are indeed really cool. And I credit part of the people's renaissance with that set, with, like, the fact that the Baldur's Gate video game has been really, really popular. And people are going back and being like, oh, wait, Carlac's kind of amazing. These backgrounds are actually, like pretty decent and like yeah yeah a lot of these cards are really really fun so i would love to see more backgrounds in more places because i have a whole bunch of fun of them every time that i play them in my decks too getting back into our main topic here now I don't know, we can go through a couple of other, you know, those big famous spells that you just can't always play in your decks because of how big and famous and high demand and expensive they are. Um, and, and I kind of want to talk about uh, Teferi's protection here for a moment because there are some ways that we can adapt our understanding of what that card in that card slot can do and Teferi's protection opens the door to an interesting example for that. Um, Teferi's protection, of course, three mana, white instant, you phase out, your stuff is going to be untouched, your life total can't change, great, amazing card. And if you are looking for budget stuff to, for example, save your board, I think we've all probably heard of Rootborn Defenses or Unbreakable Formation to give your stuff indestructible. And those are really great budget cards. I actually really, really enjoy them. And they have other cool applications that are really great. That is only one way of looking at what Teferi's Protection can do for you, though. Um, you know, if you want to just find a one-to-one -one comparison, you know, there's also Guardian of Faith. It enters the battlefield, it's got flash, and you can have a bunch of other stuff phase out. And that, too, is going to save your board. But there's another way that we can look at the application of a Teferi's Protection too. that isn't just like, how do I save my board necessarily? Like a thing that I want to offer as a potential alternative to Teferi's Protection is actually Lapse of Certainty, the white counter spell, <laughs> because that's another way that you can fulfill those card slots. You don't have to find a one for one example. You can also find something totally different that is actually achieving the same effect, but the actual text on the card is saying some very, very different things. And that is another important thing to keep in mind when you're looking for other things to replace in those card slots. It doesn't have to be literally a one to one thing. It can actually be a little bit more off the wall and still give you the same type of protective effect that you're looking for in a very different way. Well, and Joey, I like that point that you had where you're, you're talking about a card, you want to get that effect, but you don't you don't have an apples to apples comparison for it. So lapse of certainty being Teferi's protection, you're still getting that protection effect that you need. 
but it's not by doing it specifically in the way that Teferi's Protection does. It kind of reminds me of a different card that we've talked about a couple times, but not in a while, with Cage Sun. And so I know for mono-white decks, Smothering Tithe is a vitally important card. And, and this is not to say that Cage Sun is Smothering Tithe. That, obviously, that is not what we're trying to say. But if you need something that's going to propel your mana forward and help fill that role of keeping pace with the decks that are playing green, for example... Cage Sun is only $2. Cage Sun doubles the amount of white mana that you're going to be generating from your lands. That is an absolutely fantastic thing that you can be doing from a non-green deck in general. You can be playing blue or red too. And Cage Sun is going to be vastly, vastly more powerful than the other types of ramp spells that we seem to be getting for the mono white decks. Cage Sun is only 2 bucks. Holy crap. <laughs> That's... I remember that one yeah. used to be like 11 or 12. So like, this is really cool. <laughs> I, I bought one on the floor in Minneapolis and I thought that they had it priced wrong. And he was like, no, that card is only $2 now. Uh, yeah, just because, you know, Smothering Tithe is difficult to get sometimes. And I think in my head, like right away, the thing that I would think to reach for as a budget replacement for Smothering Tithe would probably be something closer to like a Thran Dynamo, because it's also a four mana thing and it's going to give me a boost in, of mana. And I don't disrespect on Thran Dynamo. I think the Thran Dynamo is really cool. But like there is still that other option there that can actually give you a similar amount of that explosive potential. Um and, you know, as long as we're talking about well, white and, and the mana accessibility here, I think Wand of the World Soul might be another potential option of one of those alternatives, too. I've been playing this one in a token deck, and Matt, you play a whole lot of Selesnia, so I'm sure you know how many tokens you're able to make in that kind of thing. Wand of the World Soul also has some explosive capacity because it can give your spells Convoke and turn your creatures into the ability to just play a free 8-drop or something like that. So, and that one is also barely a buck. Mm -hmm. And so like there are again, still these explosive potentials out there that aren't going to completely break the bank on you by, by smothering any tithes. Yeah, Wand of the World Soul is a fantastic suggestion too, because yes, it only hits the next spell you cast, but if you have eight tokens on the battlefield, you can get a cast an eight drop just by tapping some of your creatures. Turning all of your creatures into a land war elf <laughs> is a very, very powerful effect. I mean, yeah, that's why Cryptolith Red is an expensive card, right? Because, like, because, like, yeah, Cryptolith Red is 12 bucks right now, and Cryptolith Red also lets your creatures tap for mana. Well, so does Wanda the World Soul, and it's a dollar. <laughs> yeah, those, those three mana mana rocks, those just so good. And I love that they're getting adventurous with them outside of green as well. Mm. Cursed Mirror is a really cool one. Wanda the World Soul. We're getting some fun ones. And another, another one that I know we're going to talk about more here in a second, we may as well transition into it, mm. is Midnight Clock. That one, Dana has played so many times in so many different decks. Yeah. And it's a fantastic card, not just to, to get you some mana and smooth out your, your mana curve, but also because sometimes people lean into Rhystic Study maybe a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> really? You mean you don't like being asked all the time if you want to pay the one? If you want to pay the one, do you pay the one? Do you pay I the do one? I do not. <laughs> I do not want to be asked. And I don't want to pay the one, but I have to a lot of times. Yeah. And that's just it. Like Rhystic Study, we all know it's a really great card. But and, and even another potential option as a replacement for it would be Mystic Mystic Remora. But like sometimes you also don't want to ask, do you pay the four? Do you pay the four? Do you pay the four? I'm not drawing the card. Um, and those are staples for a reason. We know that they're really good. But Matt, I think you're totally right. Midnight Clock is a more off-the-wall kind of thing that you may not immediately think of, but which would, can still do the job of refilling your hand when you need it. And like getting those seven new cards can really reinvigorate you and get you right back into the game. And I've totally seen that card do some really nasty work. And it might even be more 
you know, depending on the experience that you are looking for in a game, you might have more fun with the midnight clock, not just because you're not constantly asking people like, you know, pestering, like, do you pay the one? Do you pay the one? So it's not just that you're not like constantly having to, to bother them a little bit about it, but also because midnight clock is unlikely to draw the same amount of attention to yourself yes. that a heuristic study is likely to draw. Yeah, the, the social aspect of the game you put a heuristic study onto the battlefield, you're instantly, no matter what, you could be in, you know, towards the end of the pack, you're going to be public enemy number one in some players' minds because heuristic study just has that reputation. Hmm. Is it powerful? Absolutely. We are not saying that heuristic study is not a powerful card and that a midnight clock will suddenly just fix everything for you. That is not what we're saying at all. Yeah. What we are saying is that sometimes by stepping down just a hair in the power level, you're still going to get valuable and powerful effects without drawing the ire of the rest of the pod. I, I was playing against somebody one time that said, I don't really need that many draw spells because I, I have Ristic Study in here, which that, that's going to do everything for me. Well, not only did that person not draw the Ristic Study that game, but uh. everybody else was ready to pay the one. As soon as they declared <laughs> that, we knew if you, we just pay the one, this person's not going to do anything. And they didn't. Yeah. And that was it, it was such a flaw in the deck building. So they ignored the density of draw too. They, they, they put one card. In, it's like, putting a dual land in your deck and saying, well, I don't need to fix my man at all. Ouch. That's not how it works at all. You still need a density of those effects. You don't want just one draw spell. You don't want just one ramp spell. You need multiple copies of the effect because it's a singleton format. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that you've been especially wary of like calling things must-haves, staples, auto-includes, or anything yeah. like that. Because when a card becomes too iconic in our mind, it kind of like takes over too much space in our minds, and therefore it can affect the way that we're deck building. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like making sure that you have even the stuff that is lackluster is still very, very important. Uh, another potential budget option that I'd like to throw out here if you're not in the mood for a study so ristic would be the three mana blue instant called Keep Watch that says you draw a card for each attacking creature. I love that card. Sometimes this card doesn't do a whole lot, but sometimes you draw 10 cards and then you find an answer for the stuff that's attacking. And it, sometimes you're attacking and then you draw a bunch of cards off of your own attack and then maybe you draw something that buffs the mid attack. Like, and like that one off draw spell is pretty impressive, but it's also situational enough that maybe it won't draw as much attention to you again as someone who's been persistently asking who's paying the one. And that can, again, have like some interesting upsides on the psychology of the game and therefore how it unfolds. And it's also just a fun spell to play. And again, it costs 47 cents. And I just think there's a lot of value. One thing that I know Dana would be preaching about right now is just those chunk draw spells. Cards like Winged Words and Chart of Course and Secrets of the Golden City. Those are three just, they're going to get you cards in hand at, at a fairly cheap and efficient mana value. That's just something that Dana has always done very, very well with his decks is he's making sure that he's drawing enough cards that he's getting through his deck. He's going to be finding answers as he needs them. And it's something that I think a lot of players could really learn a lesson from is you can't really overdo card draw because <laughs> yeah. even if you're yeah you, you just always are going to need to be getting to the next answer you used an answer well now i need the next one now i need the next one now well now i need my threats so you're always wanting to be going through and, and getting in there and just one heuristic study that's not going to get you there just one midnight clock you really need a density of these effects
And again, with the drawing attention to oneself there, like playing a higher density of those things that are a little bit smaller, they do add up over the course of the game in a really big way. But again, they're not drawing all of the attention to you because they have appeared minor, but they have been consistent given that density. And and just like, you know, not drawing too much attention to yourself is a thing that I've been trying to take a lot more to heart recently in my decks. Um, and it's kind of affected. I mean, Matt, you know that I love to reanimate me a whole bunch of stuff. And like the Gingataxius that makes me draw up a whole bunch of extra cards, but makes my opponent's hand size zero. That used to be one of my go-tos. But you know what? Whenever I would try to play that deck, if everyone knows that I have a Gingataxius in it, they're all coming for me right off the bat. <laughs> so like I definitely had to diversify. And when I switched out Gingataxius for like Nezahal instead, which also saves a whole bunch of money on that, that definitely changed the attitude of people who were engaging with the deck right when I was sitting down to play it. So it, it is about the density of it and also just about like people's knowledge of it and like the ways that people will or won't notice what's going on can be alighted by things like the density of them, the small levels of consistency, as opposed to the things that are just the one-off big iconic standouts. I mean, I don't know if there's any cycle of cards that gets you more hate because they are just so notoriously powerful than any of the Praetors, any of the Phyrexian <laughs> Praetors like Elish Norn, Gingataxis. Vorn Clux. They all, <laughs> Vorn Clux especially, yeah. They all have these big, splashy, powerful effects that people remember what they do. They may not remember the name of the card, but they, oh, it's that card that does that thing. That's one way you are for sure going to put a target on your back. So you can get these effects maybe a little less efficient, but also it's going to get you so much less ire from the rest of the table that you're going to actually going to have that effect on the battlefield for more than just a turn cycle before somebody tries to blow it up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like when I get a Shieldred into play, which is forcing everyone to sacrifice their stuff, but it's reanimating things for me, man, do I feel on top of the world. And man, does everyone want to kill me real fast. But when I revive an Overseer of the Damned, which only cost me 25 cents to acquire... That kills one thing, it gets a job done that I needed done, but it also has other effects that opponents are not used to playing around. And that has won me games too, because when stuff dies, I get more zombies. And so if the board ever gets too big, like people have totally wrathed a board while I had an Overseer of the Damned in play. And that gave me a game-winning presence of zombies afterwards. And, and those are the types of things that, oh, my opponents might know how to deal with a Shieldred, but maybe they don't know how to deal with this other 25 cent thing, which still gave me the thing that I needed, removal from a reanimation target. And it's a, a nice thing to be able to unlock from there. All right. So, Joey, you were talking about some big, scary creatures that draw you a whole bunch of attention. So I think it's only fitting we shift to a small little creature that also gets you a whole lot of attention. So that card is going to be Dockside Extortionist. Uh. So as much... <laughs> As much as people have tried to get this card cheaper, it's still wildly expensive, still makes you a ton of mana, and still is ob as obnoxious as ever. So I, I really think that we need to take a moment to kind of help folks dodge that monkey bullet. <laughs> I think it's a goblin. Um, things got wild, wild pirate art. Um, yeah, Dockside, Dockside's ridiculous. Dockside's price tag is even more ridiculous. Um, mm -hmm. And I have also hit a point where I'm just like, I'm kind of sick of casting this. <laughs> like, and so, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll sell this and like get a whole extra commander deck instead. It's like kind of a position that I've moved into. And not only that, but like there have been several times where me casting a simple mana geyser has achieved kind of exactly what I needed from that turn. Is mana geyser going to be part of a combo in the way that Dockside is? No, certainly not. And if you're doing it for the combo, then go off for the combo. But if you just want a big boost of mana, 
five mana red sorcery that gives you red mana for each tapped land your opponent's control and that card's always been a classic and it's always done really really well for me and i really really enjoy that spell Dockside is probably the most obnoxious spell to cast and have cast against you <laughs> uh just I, I i really really struggled to trying to put it into any decks I, I had it proxied for about half a game. I was like, I no, <laughs> sure. I, I don't want. I, I I want a target, but not this kind of target on my back. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, like, and of course, sometimes you do want that synergy for the fact that you are like creating artifact tokens, and there are going to be synergies off of the artifacts that you're creating, uh, or you want them for the sacrifice effects, or you're playing something that doubles all of your tokens. And mana geyser is not going to get you there in that case. But I'm also a big fan of another sorcery, which is reckless endeavor. Matt, have you have you ever cast a reckless endeavor? I have not cast one. I've cast a similar card. I've done brass's bounty before. And that also (laughs) (laughs) was a little out of hand. Yeah, Brass's Bounty, of course, giving you treasures equal to the number of lands that you've got. And I've certainly seen some big stuff happen there. But Reckless Endeavor is the seven mana red sorcery. You roll 2d12 and you choose one result to turn into treasure tokens and the other result to turn into damage to each creature. And and I, every time I've seen this thing cast, it comes up mana positive. <laughs> like it's, it kills a whole bunch of stuff in play. And then also you make a bunch of treasures left over so it kind of like can refund itself and still be original leave you stuff left over and that can still lean into what those treasure focused decks are trying to do while also cleaning up a bunch of stragglers on the board for you i've been really really impressed every time that i've seen reckless endeavor get cast and it's also fun to see because of that slight random element the fact that it's a little bit more off the wall like this is something that when it gets cast against me and i totally die to it i have so much joy losing to this card <laughs> like See, I, I, the randomness of it, I, I would get, I, just knowing myself, I would roll a two and a, a three probably <laughs> and just get absolutely just frustrated to all get out and I'd just take the card out of the deck that moment and never consider it again. That's just the type of card that I, I see and people are going to have very good luck with it and I'm happy for them, but I'm not happy for me. Well, Matt, your segue into Dockside was based off of it being a littler spell than the big praetors that I was talking about, but I'm going to do you one better. Going even littler, I mean, there's nothing more little in terms of your mana investment than free, and we all know that there are some very expensive free spells out there like Fierce Guardianships and Deflecting Swat and things like that. What are some of your go-to replacements on that front? That is actually a really good question. So they have gotten very, very good. If you're trying to to find a budget replacement, for example, for Fierce Guardianship, it's just a a counter spell. Well, sorry, excuse me, a free negate as long as you control your commander. That's very, very hard to play around. But you've gotten some very, very good budget replacements that only cost like a mana or two. I know Stubborn Denial, Joey, is one of your favorites. Mm -hmm. I think an offer you can't refuse also is great. Uh, they're yes, you're giving your opponent a couple old treasures, but you're preventing them from doing something that's possibly game ending. And if you're playing it when you need to, it's absolutely going to be worth it. Yeah, for sure. And deflecting SWAT is another really, really expensive one. But man, if you don't have the 30, 40, whatever plus dollars to drop on deflecting SWAT as a free redirect when someone's trying to take your commander out. I still play Bolt Bend, yeah. which if you've got a big thing in play, like the commander you're probably trying to defend, this is a one-mana way to redirect a thing away from you. Or Matt, I know you play another one-mana red spell that is real tricky. Why, yes, Joey. So I happen to love Red Elemental Blast and its sister card, Pyroblast. They both are just fantastic cards. If you're playing mono red, it's just a great way to protect against that blue player at the table. So Red Elemental Blast is just a red mana for instance says, choose one you get to counter target blue spell 
or to start destroy target blue permanent. It's pretty simple and straightforward. And yes, it only hits those blue spells, but considering it's how it's one of the most popular colors in the format, <laughs> you're more than likely going to have something to hit in any given game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> goodbye, Cyclonic Rift. Uh, farewell, Pongify. That was coming my way. But also, alternatively, ciao, Eureka. Or <laughs> just, like, be gone, Moldrotha. Like, yeah, the, the, these cards are, like, really punishing. And so, you know, reaching immediately for that iconic Deflecting SWAT-style card, I get it. Because, yeah, Deflecting SWAT is really, really good. But reaching a little bit past it to find stuff like this, Matt, I've seen you do some damage with those spells there. And when I say damage, I mean you killed my Wilhelt and I needed him to help my zombie army and I'm not mad at you, I promise. I don't think you needed, I think you just needed to have more faith in your zombie army. Wait, Matt, I'm sorry. Okay, no, hold the phone. My necromancy and my faith in such is very strong, Matt. How could you come from my pride like this? Um, I, I will be using some of these spells to absolutely just ruin you now. It is the law. <laughs> so you say that you need to defeat me in a game of magic. I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to defeat you in a race to the segue to close out the show. <laughs> Fine. I'm making it. I'm, I'm getting personal with these victories. <laughs> If you insist. Yeah. I mean, there are so many other ridiculously high power and very expensive staple cards out there. And there are a bunch of different reasons to play them and a whole bunch of different reasons to not play them. These are some of the effects that come to our mind. Just some of the cards that have actually been a little bit more enjoyable for us to play sometimes and they haven't had as much stress on the act of deck building either and and you know what matt one more thing like more importantly i noticed too that when i made some of these switches that we talked about that i also noticed that they were more fun for my opponents as well like i i don't know as one last example i suppose i used to have torment of hailfire in my virtus and gorm deck for instance and Torment of Hailfire, we've lost to that one a, a whole lot. You know, we've seen it a whole lot, and so it felt a little bit rote. But when I switched that one out for a Damnable Pact, which is also an X spell that can make someone lose X life and draw X cards, I mean, when I played that on someone for lethal damage in that deck, the response was so much different than when I had cast Torment of Hailfire in previous games. And that right there is really important to me in games of Commander. So that's another one last note that I kind of want to leave on this episode is that like, yeah, there's a lot of reasons all over the place to play some of these. But sometimes just unlocking more joyful experiences is one of the bigger reasons to maybe try out some of these other options. Yeah, for sure. There, there's only as many limitations as there are to your creativity. Uh, you can dig, you can dig, and you can find some just absolutely fantastic budget substitutions for these just reputationally powerful cards. And yeah, it's, it's great. And it's always interesting to find what our listeners are able to come up with. Yes, yeah, I definitely want to hear from the listeners about what their favorite budget replacements for some of those huge, big, iconic, ridiculously mind-blowing staples are out there because sometimes the other a little bit more off-the-wall cards are just as mind-blowing, if not more so. So folks, let us know in the comments, in the reviews, in the whatevers about your favorite other options out there that you like to employ in your deck building, especially if they take people off guard because they don't see them very often. And we'll call this episode to a close now because Matt has segued us to the ending so efficiently and I, um, I just don't get to segue into anything anymore. So we're just going to close it right out. Matt, if folks want to get in touch with you online, where is it that they can find you, man? So you can find me pretty much any social media platform there is at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, you can find us also 
as the podcast at EDH Retcast, wherever social media can be found. <laughs> yes, indeed. And you can find me at Joseph M. Schultz anywhere on the onlines if you'd like. Uh, I'll probably be making a fool of myself on Instagram or something like that. Who even knows? And if you want to get in touch with us, you can give us an email at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out one last time to Chase for their fantastic work in the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Come <laughs> on.